reading tonight is from Isaiah 40, starting at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift, your vo- lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his, re- his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Thank you, Aurelia. Ooh, it's on early. How exciting. Hello, everybody. My name is Ethan. Hello. Uh, it is very nice to see you all. Uh, sorry for those of you who are in the other room, if you aren't able to make it back in here. Uh, I have I've made a lot of slides. So for those of you who won't be able to see, I'm sorry. Um, but for everyone in here, get excited. There's visual aids. Um, but before I get to the visual aids and the other things, I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll kick off. Heavenly Father, uh, please uh, give us ears to hear and alert minds on this cold night. Help us to focus on your word and what you have to say to us tonight. I pray that you can speak through me and that your message can be made clear tonight. Amen. So, my question for you guys today is how do you guys wait? And are you any good at it? Uh, I, I like to think of myself as a patient man, um, but all of that goes out the window as soon as I'm in a car. Um, you find me stuck in traffic and like this. I don't get cranky very often, but that's, you'll see me at my worst then. Um, the, I'm actually at my worst, not in traffic. I'm at my worst at a red light. Um, I will go out of my way and I'll, I, will, I will try the hardest possible, hardest I possibly can to take all the routes, even if they are longer, to take to drive to like round bends and round corners to not get hit by a red light. I also count um, the amount of lights I've gotten or missed. And so I'll get to, I'll drive to, I don't know, I'll drive to Bangor and I'll get to the end, I'm like, okay, cool, there was like, there was seven traffic lights and I got six of them, yes, or the other way around. And I got six of them and they were all red and it was ridiculous. And honestly, doesn't really change much. Like, you're sitting there for about 30 seconds. Anyway, what has this got to do with anything? I will get there. Um, but I will, uh, what I'm trying to say is that waiting sucks. Uh, as a 2019 survey found that we spend about 11% of our lives waiting. Uh, I've got a few things on the thing. Topping the list of things we wait for is food being cooked, which takes 17 months of our life. Uh, followed by children, which takes 13 months. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, and our partners, 6.5 months. Uh, I have promised, I said to myself I would not comment on that. Um, other time wasters include slow technology, 5.5 months. Uh, don't get me started on that one. Uh, I've had a few dramas this week with my laptop. Um, I think that, and, and you guys online will know that this drives me mental. Um, uh, the traffic lights one, that is, is that next or is the other one next? Traffic lights is four months, queuing is 4.5 months, and boiling the kettle is almost four months. Uh, as someone who drinks a lot of tea, I think almost four months is a little bit of an understatement. Um, Tonight, actually, if you want to hang around, late night is doing a high tea, and so we will be boiling the kettle lots, uh, which will be good fun. Um, okay, so keep the idea of waiting in the back of your mind as we go forward uh, today, um, or at the top of your notes, if you're a note taker, because uh, I'll get there. But first, and I'll get to Isaiah 40 as well, but first, we skipped a lot since last week. For those of you who heard a sermon last week, uh, it was on Isaiah 27. Now, 27 is a little bit further ago than 40, and a lot happened. And yes, 
For those of you who know me, that is a great excuse for me to get excited about history things. And so I'm going to do that, and you guys have to listen. Uh, so, uh, Isaiah, in chapter 36 and 37, Isaiah writes that when Jerusalem is surrounded by Assyrians, Hezekiah, which is Assyrians, uh, there was a, nat- a nation to the north, Hezekiah, the king, begs God to deliver them in chapter 37, 15 to 20, which you can see on the screen. And he does, he does deliver them. The Bible says that 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died in one night in the middle of a siege. And the siege is lifted. Uh, This is seen in 2 Kings 19 to 35. Uh, It's also in uh, in Isaiah, but it's in a few places in the Bible, which is really cool. Um, And I'm going to stop there for a sec as well. One of the really cool things I want to raise about this is that whether you're a Christian here tonight or a non-Christian here tonight, this is an event that actually happened. Um, ancient sources, such as, I'm going to get this guy's name wrong, but the Senecherub's prism, uh, this thing on the screen, the, there's a, yep, that thing. Uh, that thing is a clay hexaga- hex- hexagonal, hexagonal, thank you everybody. Uh, this is why we all sit in this room, so you can all correct me as one. Um, <laughs> the uh, hexagonal bit of clay uh, with Akkadian writings on it. Now, these Akkadian, it's an, it's an ancient language, and these writings are one of three accounts detailing specifically the Assyrian campaign against Judah. And this hunk of clay, whether you're a Christian or not, proves that this story really happened. Now, Jerusalem was under siege. Uh, Sennacherib and his army suffered greatly and could not conquer Jerusalem. Secular historians looking at this uh, have tried to figure it out and they've gone, maybe it was sickness, maybe it was rats, but both the Bible and this bit of clay agree that randomly, out of nowhere, a whole bunch of Assyrians died mid-siege. I think uh, the Bible thinks that it was God and that's a really cool thing to know. Um, almost every sermon we've had so far in Isaiah has shown you this map. Uh, Could we chuck that up on the screen? This map uh, is really cool and shows that Assy- the Assyrian Empire is at the top, uh, above the kingdom of Damas- Damascus, under the blue, above the blue one. Um, the Assyrian Empire, uh, that was threatening, he was thre- they were threatening all of those nations. Um, but if you look at this m- next map, the real historical map, of, uh, it's hard to see from where you are, but there's a little yellow dot in the middle of that green mass that is the Assyrian Empire. And that little yellow dot is Judah. Historically, Judah did not fall. Just like God promised Isaiah in Isaiah 37, verses 33 to 35, which says, therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here, He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And that's what happened. Very, very cool stuff. Very, very powerful stuff. The reality of that scripture makes this next part even more interesting. Interesting. Chapter 39, fast forward a little bit, Isaiah warns Hezekiah, the king, that a time will come when Judah will be defeated and Judah will be carried off into exile into Babylon. 
587 BC uh, they were. Check out this map. That's that big blue thing is the Babylonian Empire. Um, and Isaiah, and there's no little Judah spot. It's all Babylonian blue. Isaiah has been writing truth at the time of the Assyrian Empire. And then a prophecy about the Babylonian Empire comes true too. Uh, now, if you're wondering, uh, for those of you who were, that we can see some cool archaeological evidence uh, for that too, also in Arcadian, also on clay. But these are on some tablets called the Babylonian Chronicles. Google it, really interesting. Heaps of cool stuff. I won't go into that too much though. This time period, this time period um, of the Babylonian Empire taking over Israel, taking over Judah, sorry, um, and is called, we call it, the exile. Uh, we call it exile because God's people were exiled from the promised land and made to live in Babylon. During that exile, the Israelites were waiting to go home. And they were grumbling. And they were disillusioned. And they were asking questions of why did this happen and where is God in all of this? And in response to the grumbling and disillusionment, God will comfort his people through Isaiah. But it doesn't make heaps of sense at first glance. How does he do that? The Babylonian Empire is 150 years after Isaiah, after his death. Well, in chapters 8, 29, and 30, which are on the screen, uh, we're told that uh, Isaiah wrote and sealed up in a scroll all his messages of judgment and hope, which are what the whole of the book of Isaiah is on about, um, and he passes them on to his disciples as a witness. Uh, for days to come, it says. Uh, so the exile hits 150 years later, and the Jews already know these prophecies. And they saw how Isaiah spoke truth with the Assyrians, and saw how Isaiah spoke truth about the exile. And when Isaiah turns around to them and says, Guys, it's going to be okay, that's true too. Uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not, me, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And then getting more specific in Isaiah 43.5-6 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west, and I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Chapters 40 to 48 is a beautiful promise that the Israelites will return home. But as we saw in Aurelia's amazing reading, it was very long. Thank you so much uh, for, for charging through that. It was excellent. Um, but as we saw in verse 27 of chapter 40, they're grumbling all the same. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is discarded by my God. They are grumbling in their knowledge of Isaiah's true prophecies. But in their grumbling, God knows a bit that this is going to happen. And so God comforts them. And one of the ways he comforts them, there's lots of, lots of cool stuff in Isaiah 40, and I won't be able to unpack it in its utmost depth. But what I will be able to say is that God uses, one of the ways God comforts his people is by reminding them of his power. I'm going to take us through that now, but first, 
we may not be in exile here in Kirui or wherever you guys may be sitting in your lounge room, but it is winter, so it's cold. And when I was writing this sermon, I was prepping, I was, I was assuming it would be as cold as it was yesterday, so it's a little better, which is good, I'm glad. But it's that time of year when energy levels are lowest all around. If you're a uh, teacher, student, or parent, uh, you would know this quite well, that there's a point in a school term where you've started the term all right, and you keep going, and then it, it is kind of, the energy levels just drop and drop and drop. And this is kind of the lowest they get this, this week. Because in a few weeks, they'll be able to get excited about holidays, but they can't get excited about holidays yet. So this is just like, ugh. And so in our lives, whether we are in that particular bit of a term, sometimes a winter, or sometimes we get to points in our lives where we're just, ugh. But sometimes it is deeper than that. Sometimes we can lose our excitement from God and that can go uh, anywhere from forgetting him or just slugging through life, genuinely crying out, where is our God? Sometimes you're honestly going through a bad season and I'm not talking about winter, the season. I'm talking about what you're going through at home or what you're going through at work or a lack of going through work. Sometimes we go through this thing called life, which is hard. We live in a fallen world. And the Israelites knew that, and Isaiah knew that. And for the Israelites, opening these scrolls, it was a a breath of fresh air into their disillusionment and sadness and loss. This passage, I described it last night at the Friday gathering, as a hype song. Now, what do I mean? I mean that one song you play on your way to work or that one song you play when you're like, I just need to pick me up or uh, what was my other example? Or, or at the gym or before you walk in the door at a, um, uh, at, a, at a job interview. Last night I played Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, which went really well and I was tempted to redo it tonight but I don't think you guys would have sung anywhere near as loud as they did. Um, but it was, it was rather excellent. This passage was written to hype up the Israelites at their lowest. And so for those of us that are pretty low, here's a little pick-me-up. And those of us who are just needing uh, a little hype, here's a little hype for your Saturday night. I'm just going to paraphrase my way through this. I think it's awesome. It really excites me. Starting at verse 9 and 10. Here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. Verse 12. Who can stand against God? He is so massive, he measures the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. He has held the dust and weighed the mountains and balanced the hills. Uh, 13 and 14, we see he is unfathomable and no one can tell him what to do. Verse 15, surely the nations of this world are like a drop in a bucket, dust on the scales. And 17 says, before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Whatever you're going through, our God is bigger than that. Whoever you're up against, our God is bigger than them. And that is a beautiful thing to hear for, the, for us now 
sitting in Kiriwe or sitting in our homes, and for them then, sitting in Babylon. Verse 18, he is incomparable. Nothing holds a candle to him. There is no idol of this world that you can worship that will be greater than God. No sports team, no new toy, no girl or guy or job or house is more worthy of our attention than God. As God's people in Babylon, as they fret about the troubles of this world and ask questions like, where is our God? They open these scrolls and get told from verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the people are just grasshoppers? I could quite easily spend the rest of this sermon just rereading what Aurelia read to us earlier and enjoy it immensely. Because it is such an awesome, exciting thing to glory in the power of our God. But I will chill. I just wanted to wake you up this winter night with the knowledge that God is really awesome. I don't know if you ever get excited by the sheer greatness of of stuff like this, but I I do. It's really cool. Um, I think that this passage can be a really cool parallel with what we experience. Uh, We grumble sometimes, or we get disillusioned, or we cry out, where is God? Why have you, what what does it say there? It says, why have you disregarded my situation? And we forget the promises we are given because we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting to go home. And not to our war, not to Jerusalem, and not to our warm beds, uh, but to heaven, the new Jerusalem, and eternity with God. This passage is a great reminder of those promises that we're waiting for. I don't know about you, but verse 3 kind of pricks up uh, your attention, it is uh, that, that a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That verse is quoted in all four Gospels uh, in uh, connection to John the Baptist, who was making the way for Jesus in the desert. Jesus. Another thing we have historical evidence for in the Roman writings of people like Josephus and Tacitus, Uh, Jesus came fulfilling that comfort in verse 2, which is up on the screen. That comfort that our sin was paid for once and for all. The power of God is revealed in Jesus as he died and was resurrected three days later and saved humanity from its own sinfulness. The servant king that is prophesied in Isaiah, and he goes on, Isaiah in the next few chapters will go on to be much more clear than he has tonight. Uh, the, The servant king prophesied in Isaiah came, died, and was resurrected, just as Isaiah wrote. If the promises of Israel being protected from Assyria came true, and then... 150, 200 years later, the promises about being freed from Babylon came true. And then the promise that this dude would rock up and be Jesus and do all the things he did came true. Then I think this will come true too. 
This prophecy from Isaiah that says, there will be a day, verse 31, where those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Heaven's going to be awesome. And not just because of that, but because we're going to be with God and he's awesome. And we just got to wait for it. I know it's winter. It's life. But we can wait knowing how awesome and powerful our God is. If you're not a Christian today, this sermon is just me really energetically rereading something that was read earlier. But if you're not a Christian and wondering why I am so excited about this description of God, why the people in this room rock up every week, sometimes having to sit in the cold concrete, just to hear about God and share in his community, I would encourage you to check it out. Ask why. Ask what we're waiting for. Because the people here, and myself, that, are, that, are, that call themselves Christians, believe that this is true. I would encourage you to put your trust in the God that balanced the hills and weighs the mountains, but humbled himself to die for each and every one of us, for our sins. Humbled himself and is able to come and, and loves us enough to comfort you at your lowest and at your highest. If you're interested in following someone that powerful, let me know. I'd love to chat about it. Uh, or let someone here know that you know is a Christian. And for those of you that are a Christian today, my encouragement to you is that let's not just spend 11% of our life waiting. Let's spend all of our life waiting. As Christians, we are encouraged to live our lives eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus to come back and take us home. So how are you waiting? Do you find yourself forgetting the power and goodness of God? Do you find yourself spending all of your energy prepping for the future or freaking out about the future or grumbling about the present? Or are you trying to find ways to get stoked about God and the glory of his goodness and awesomeness here in this sinful world and the knowledge that one day he's going to come and take us home. Isn't it awesome that we worship a God who is bigger than our future and bigger than our presence and bigger than the worries that come from both? Let's try and remember God's promises and try and remember God's power tonight. I'm going to pray and then we'll close the song. Heavenly Father, thank you for, your, for fulfilling your promises. Thank you that those ancient promises to the Israelites have been extended to us through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. I pray that we can wait eagerly for Jesus to come back. And until then, Lord, help us serve you in all we are as we remember your power and your goodness. Amen. Amen.